right now at Honda, find your kind of value with a low finance rate offer on selected Civic hatch and sedan models. There's never been a better time to get into a Civic. So talk to your local dealer and let's help you into a Honda today. T's and C's apply. Ends August 31st. See website for details. You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Hello, listeners. You're with the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. If you're one of our new listeners streaming this show from outside the channel country, you'll find you're up to episode number seven of the podcast, coming live out of the Koala Studios here in downtown Batuta. Yes, hello everyone and thank you for tuning in. My name is Errol Parker, the editor of large of the humble channel country newspaper, The Batuta Advocate, and sitting alongside me is the fifth generation editor of this town's newspaper and descendant of our founders, Clancy Overell. Now, on this week's show, we'll be joined in the studio by a prominent hippie, bush doof enthusiast and a fan of alternative medicine, Richard D. Natale. Yes, that's right. He's also the leader of the Australian Greens Party, who some of you may know has recently called for a ban on turning ruse into Swiss cheese. But Di Natale isn't here to talk to us about that today. He's here to talk about the new policy the Greens have on the old devil's lettuce. So that should be interesting. First up, we're going to talk about some of the Senator's most prominent headlines of date. We've had a lot to write about when it comes to the strapping Italian hippie, haven't we, Errol? Yeah, we certainly have, Clancy. He's a bit of a controversial figure, old Di Natale. Uh, recently, he stirred up a few people with... Uh News that he threatened old Georgie Christensen with a machine gun. That's right, I remember that one. That caused a lot of commotion. What was the headline on that one? Well, we've got the Desert Rock FM newsreader in today, so Bruce, can you have a stab at this one for us? Thanks, Errol. It was one you penned, actually, and it goes, Dean Natale blows dust off Bob Brown's communist-era AK-47 after Christensen death threats. Thanks, Bruce. Quite a hot story, that one. Of course, Dean Natale's actions were in response to some threatening behaviour from Christensen in a photo he put on Facebook. The Queensland MP was seen brandishing a Glock pistol at a Mackay gun range with the caption paraphrasing the famous Dirty Harry quote. You've got to ask yourself, do you feel lucky, greeny punks? Yeah, and I got a hold of Rich shortly after that post and, um, and, and he told me, you know, does George think this is a game? Uh, when the purge comes, he'll be hanging from a streetlight, you know, and that the Greens are done playing with this guy and, he will, and if he wants to get real with the, the Greens, then they'll get real with him. Uh, and he then went on to explain that the gun came from Bob Brown. Uh, it was a bit of a relic uh, passed down from Bob's days in Cuba, apparently, and uh, it's opened more fascist heads than George has opened uh, Corona bottles. A couple of comments on that story. Tom in South Batuta says the nation owes a lot of things to Bob Brown, none of them good. And Lewis from the Old City District said that shooting George Christensen through the dome with a large calibre Jacketed ballistic tip bullet will only cause more problems for Richard D. Natale than it did solve. Yeah, uh, I think George has really kicked the hornet's nest here, but I think Richard does have a much softer side, uh, as we learned in the year with this story about his love of holistic medicine. What was that story again, Bruce? That one was D. Natale feeling recharged after leaving crystals out to harness the energy of the full moon. Yeah, the Green senator and party leader said he felt like a new man after leaving his collection of semi-precious stones out all night for the first full moon of February. Di Natale, who is also a registered GP, has in the past openly criticised what he calls modern medicine and has even asked Malcolm Turnbull to free the herb. Yeah, he said to us, uh, I feel on top of the world. Uh, I keep a couple of crystals under my pillow at home, uh, a few under my desk, one in the Prius, and he can also feel the moon's vibrations, that they're so vibrant. Uh, You're a young fella. 
Clancy, he dabbled in, in this sort of shit for a while, didn't he? Yeah, I guess you could say he went through a bit of a phase. Yeah. No, he's, he's come good, the young fella. I reckon my old man would have been on the first flight out of Kowloon if you heard me sprouting that sort of shit. Yeah, well, yeah, you could imagine that. A good army man that he is. Wouldn't have looked too fondly upon the hippie ideology. Anyway, I just ignored my young fella and he seems to have grown out of it. Oh, that's good to hear, mate. Uh, on to the next story. Well, what do you got for us, Bruce? Richard Di Natale labels Scott Morrison a typical Taurus in a speech to Senate. He also described Morrison, the Cronulla Bible thumper, as bullish and aggressive before saying, I mean, hello, he's just a typical Taurus, like a bull in a china shop. So dumb, bullish and aggressive. It's just sad. Well, Morrison didn't like that, did he, Clancy? Uh, he hit back by saying, I am a fucking Taurus and I love being one, but grow up, cunt. Don't bring that shit into Parliament. It's great to know our democratic process is in good hands, isn't it? Bruce, we wrote a yarn on the Greens leader enjoying his special day. Yeah, that one goes, Senator Di Natale getting everything ready for the 20th of April. Well, thanks, Bruce. Uh, Di Natale said he was determined to get out of Parliament to celebrate Green Christmas, which takes place on the 20th of April, a date referencing the number 420, which Di Natale describes as being a very powerful number in cannabis culture. Uh, he then said to our reporters that he's been prepping for a while for the big day and that he was announcing a plan to free the herb. One of our readers from down in the latte capital of Melbourne called Benita Eldstrom tipped us off on that despite being a supporter of legalising cannabis. Dean Natale has reportedly told his grandmother, it's just oregano nonna. Well, speaking of legislation, Richard has joined us in the studio now to have a bit of a chat about the old Mary Jane. Well, Senator Dean Natale... Thank you for joining us today. Did I say that right? You did. Well done. Yep. Yeah. Not like um, old mate Brandy, Candy Brandy. No. <laughs> uh, um, how do you say his last name? It was Brandass. Brandass. That was uh, Peter Wish Wilson coined uh, yeah. Brandass. Yeah, yeah. It got him good. <laughs> yep. Now, what's been going on, mate? You're a uh, leader of the Greens. Yes. Uh, senator from Victoria. Yep. You, um, and we're talking to you today because the Greens in the last probably decade have started doing a bit of crossover uh, into regional areas, and we see up north New South Wales, they kind of the nationals start getting very green, and the uh, you know the traditional Labor seats in the yeah. cities are getting pretty green, and you guys are casting a bit of a net now. It's no longer just you know people hugging trees in Tasmania as, as it started, or you know stopping nuclear power in WA. It's it's a it's a broader net. Uh, what, what, what do you put that down to? Um, I think it's a few things. I, I think ultimately when you sit down and talk to somebody about what the Greens stand for, you know, most people like it. When you start talking about the need to protect the precious natural environment we've got and do something about the big and growing gap between the rich and poor, I think most Australians understand that. Now, we'll go back to the beginning. You're both parents born in Italy? Yep, mum and dad. I'm, I'm guessing they probably weren't as progressive when they, when they <laughs> pulled up stumps in... Well, I mean... You know, my dad was basically struggling to feed himself. It was post-war Italy, south, very, very poor. Um, he came over when he was in his late 20s, followed his brother over, um, learnt his English while doing his electrical apprenticeship, became a sparky. Um, and really, you know, for people of his generation, it was just about trying to put food on the yeah, table for your family. Definitely. Uh, my mum came with her father, one of seven kids, um, that was a bit more of a political family. Um, the grandfather was, you know, he idolised Gough Whitlam, so I remember, remember some of the sermons about Gough back in the old days. But again, you know, people come from... Uh, he came from, uh, again, the south, very poor at the time. 
Um, and, you know, they came here, they worked bloody hard, and really their priority was to try and feed, feed themselves and their family. Well, it seems as though you did uh, inherit quite a bit of that as, as it does take a lot of work to be a doctor, which, uh, which was what you fell into after high school. Um, how long were we working in the medical field for? Uh, so I graduated in 93 and my, my plan was to get, do a few years and specialise as a, in physician training uh, and I was looking at maybe doing something like being a general physician and working in regional Australia somewhere. Uh, after a few years um, working in, a, in, in the hospital system, I, I took a year off, went travelling with a mate of mine, um, met uh, a young English backpacker who we're now, um, you know, uh, we've got two kids and started so she, a family. Right, she wasn't a 457 at the time? No, or... no, no. She was just travelling around the country having a good time. Actually travelling with a friend of hers and uh, turns out my mate also, they've they've now started a family of kids, so <laughs> huh. it was a it was a very fateful yeah. meeting. Yeah. Um, I then went back and did some general practice training, and I was in general practice right through the sort of nineties. I worked in Tennant Creek mm. doing Aboriginal health for a few yep. years. I did a few other jobs, locum work in um, Aboriginal health places like Alcoa Island, Tiwi Islands. But I spent a couple of years in the territory, and um, that was probably the experience for me that. That's what. That's when you became me? you became yeah. woke yeah. after that. Oh well, I just decided, like you know, if if you want to do something about disadvantage, particularly you know when it comes to structural disadvantage, then what you you really need to address things that are beyond the health system. Yep. Yeah, you know, people's employment opportunities, education, all that stuff. So that's really when I got back to Melbourne and continued to work right until I was elected in two thousand and ten. Yep. But I was working part-time and volunteering for the Greens for the rest of the time. So your first taste of uh, political life um, was when you ran for Lord Mayor, wasn't it? That's um, right. Yeah, yeah, that was in um, a few years after 9-11, 2003 or four. Yeah, you've yeah. done your homework. So yeah. that's right. So yeah. it was early 2000s. How was that um, as a baptism of fire? Um, Actually, um, interesting that you mentioned that. It was my first campaign. I had an operation on my knee. I did my knee playing footy. Yep. And I spent most of that campaign recovering from right. knee surgery. So I don't remember much of it. So you look like yeah, Kim um, Beasley. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It does uh, remind me of the first time that Kim met um, Obama. He had uh, he had both of his knees done at the same time. And is that right? Yeah. He uh, he uh, turned up to the Oval Office with um, with both of his knees in bandages, and he was in a wheelchair. It's a, yeah. it's a good last, look. Good way to make a last it's impression. It's an iconic image. It is. It is. <laughs> now you uh, you were playing footy quite yep. at a, quite a high level, and and most people in politics will tell you that they played footy at a high level. <laughs> uh, most blokes, anyway. Uh, what what? Where did you get to? Uh, I played VFA footy, so right. I um, I played for Coburg and Oakley in the VFA. So this was back in the days when the national competition had just got going, and the VFA competition was a sort of like a feeder competition, if yep. you like, um, and you know, played with a lot of VFL players, you know, who were either aspiring VFL players or um, or AFL players, I yeah. should say, or uh, or had finished their career and came back and played right, in right. VFA. Yeah. For, for those fee matches that they play, the Favola is doing them now. Yeah, another um, proud <laughs> Italian VFL player. That's right. That's right. Favola probably got into a bit more. Uh, few more headlines than you in the yeah, last yeah, decade. Yeah, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> for the wrong reasons. Now, tell us a little bit about the reefer. Um, you, yeah, don't, you don't have to um, have a 
Bill Clinton type answer to this, but <laughs> I've already did, answered that. Did, yeah, did you ever um, smoke yes, that? Yes, and, and I did inhale. So yeah, right. there you yeah. go. <laughs> that was in the combi van or on the, on the travels, I imagine, a few times as well. It's just been announced. Um, so what are some key parts of this yeah. sort of policy which, which makes it important? It's basically taking it out of the hands of criminals mm-hmm. and having a regulated framework to sell it. Yep. So what, what would happen is government through a, an agency, Australian Cannabis Agency, creatively called, um, would licence growers, mm-hmm. so... You can apply to have a licence to grow it commercially. Um, there would be very strict quality control and we've already got the framework yep. for that, for example, with medicinal cannabis. So it would be a variation of that. The government would then um, uh, be the wholesaler and would purchase products that it would um, make available for retail sale through retail outlets. So you'd go to a dispensary and you'd be able to get cannabis that was... Um, Regulated, you'd, you'd know exactly what was in it. You'd know the, the quantities of things like THC and CBD. Yep. It would license for sale the lower risk strains, and um, it would be plain packaging. You, d- you don't want to follow, I think, the model in some US states where it's in the yeah. hands of big business and you end up making the same mistakes that were made with. Well, I suppose grog. you know that's mm. the that's the you know that's the really sort of dark part of uh, capitalism. Is that's that- right. That's is right. is that even though right. you, you, you've got this great thing, it it can't really be anything unless there's someone making money out of it. That's right. You get your product, and you know exactly what you're getting. You don't have to, you know, expose yourself to the network of dealers that yeah. make money off it. And um, you'd still be able to grow a small quantity for personal use, uh, but um, if you're going to purchase something for sale, then it's going to be a licensed product from a licensed grower and a licensed retailer. So, with the with the growers, is there a grey area there? How do you get ready made growers in Australia? Do you have are there people ready and trained, or there do you are have... plenty of people yeah. that do it right now? Um, yeah, right. Um, so, um, obviously, you know, this is going to be um, all the money from the sale of this um, of this herb is going to come back into the government coffers. That's right. Yep. How much comparatively uh, to say more harmful things like alcohol and and tobacco? How much do you think is going to contribute to the economy? Uh, well, we are actually having a costing done right now from the parliamentary yep. budget office. Uh, we're talking billions of dollars because it's illegal. You're actually paying for all of the stuff that goes along with um, yeah. drug syndicates um, having to basically bypass laws. You want to have it priced so that it's going to raise revenue but not high enough that people will just won't buy it and yep. turn into the black market. Yep. So do you have any other support in Parliament as as opposed to just the grains? And the, yeah. And has, any, has anyone else inhaled? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, not, I've not asked. I suspect, you know, there are 7 million Australians who have inhaled and I reckon some of them will be politicians. Yeah. I suspect there's a, a couple chunk, on the a front big chunk bench. of them. Mm. <laughs> I reckon Dash has been chopping up since he and since pine. he pulled the pin. Yeah. Oh Pine yeah. yeah. Adelaide Fringe. Yeah. Um, I won't I won't comment on that. Yeah. Um, uh, so there, there are individuals who support it. Yep. But um, and they'll often do it quietly, but when you get them to stick their neck out, it's always hard. You know, these are people yeah. who often have ambitions within their own party and I feel like something like this is going to make it harder for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know there are lots of individuals who do do support drug law reform and think that a regulated market for cannabis is a sensible idea. So the greens are particularly good at uh, not uh, 
playing the man particularly. Or, or you can play the party, you, you don't necessarily play the man. Coming into the Parliament House as an actual professional mm. with an education, do you find it frustrating at times dealing with people who have kind of just had uh, you know, inflated careers of bureaucracy and public service, in, particularly in Canberra? Um, it's not so much of people who come from the public service background. It's, yeah, there are a lot of time wasters who get a cushy job. They happen to do the right thing within their party, you know, factional support or support from the business community. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of time wasters and I don't know why um, a lot of them are, have decided to do it. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it is frustrating. Because it's an it's easy, high-paying job at times. Isn't well, it, that's probably... Yeah. Um, the, the reality is it's a tough gig if you do it properly. Yep. And if you're committed to it. You spend a lot of time away from your family. Um, you spend a lot of time away from things that are important. Uh, and, but if you believe in it, um, then you, you're prepared to make those sacrifices. I think some people, particularly, as I said, if you're a backbencher and you're really out there to sort of serve out your days, yep. um, it can be a pretty cushy life. It mm-hmm. can be, um, you know, a well-paid, cushy life. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us in the Greens, we're all effectively shadow ministers. We got, we have a number of portfolios that we have to, um, that we're all committed to and working on. Um, you're flying around the country, often doing the job of a number of lower house MPs as well, because you cover, even though you're senators, you're also yeah. covering for a number of lower house areas because we don't have that support. And so it's yeah, it's it's tough work, and it is frustrating seeing people there who. Um, maybe aren't as committed to it as they should be. Yeah. So do you think uh, introducing this uh, this new policy on marijuana is going to do anything to help the stigma that does surround the Greens at the moment? What where There's no stigma Oh, you the know, where they... Bush doofs, you know, crystals. Uh, hanging out in the... Dreadlock, white boy dreads. <laughs> in national parks, you know, enjoying a bit of hooter every now and then, but... um. Never heard those criticisms before. <laughs> well, the, the, you know, the, the the idea of the party is changing. You know, as a especially a, a, up here in the bush. Yeah. You, you know, there is a bit of a an anti-bush agenda that comes through um, from the Greens in regional areas. You know, Lee Rhiannon with the kangaroos and from that all kind the of stuff. Old guard, you know, there's, they're there's talking about stuff. how there's how there isn't a problem out here with kangaroos. You know, you, you know, there's there's millions of them out here. You know that. That they ruin fences, you know, they eat feed, you know, that they just cause more harm than good. Um, Dingoes as well. Yep. Emus. No, but we're not going to talk about wildlife as such. There is, as I mentioned earlier, regions where, where the two cross over between the Nationals and, and the Greens, and that's around Lismore and stuff, and always has. And, uh, you know, all the, anywhere hinterland where the bush meets the kind of the coast, yeah, there's this, a lot I of that. I mean, talking about, like, regional communities, it's not – they're not homogenous, right? Yeah. There's no – you know, people talk about the bush as though it's one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just find that there are, you know, a lot of people I come across, and I live in a regional area myself, mm-hmm. um, where they're very open to um, green ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot, farmers are at the front line on climate change. They're yeah. the people who are seeing it. And you speak to farmers who are just saying, look, seasons have changed. Yeah. When we yeah. plant our crops has changed. Yeah. Um, when, you know, harvest time has changed. And they've seen that. And, you know, they've had generations where they've seen the climate shift. And so they, I think many of them are really concerned about it. They're also concerned about, you know, the loss of you know, health and education mm-hmm. um, support for their communities. Yeah. I know when we've gone to coal mining communities, um, 
in places like Collie in WA, in Latrobe Valley, in Victoria, um, people actually, they can see the writing on the wall. They know that the industry hasn't got a long-term future. And mm. what they want is government to manage a transition. Yeah. They're just saying, look, at the moment, you guys are just leaving it to the market. And yeah. we know ultimately we're not going to have a job. Mm -hmm. Manage and plan. What is your plan, just off the bat, and it's probably hard to give in a soundbite, but have a crack, with coal, coal miners, mining? Yeah. Where, where do you put them? Where do you put those? If, if, if all these coal uh, power plants are going to close, you know, there's going to be a, a, a lot of people in that industry who yeah. are going to be out, out of work. Yeah. Right. So, the, so you manage the transition first, right? You have a yeah. timetable and you work out, okay, let's know exactly what's happening when so we can plan for it. That's the first thing. Now, when you decommission coal mines, there's actually a lot of work that needs to be done. So decommissioning mine sites and rehabilitating them is actually quite labour-intensive. Often the place where you're going to have the renewable energy infrastructure to replace that coal is where the existing infrastructure yep. is. So there are jobs in the transition um, for people, many of them who have the technical skills, within renewable energy and away from coal. And then there's a lot of training and um, education that's important. What we're saying is let's have a plan for it. Hell of a soundbite there. In the long run, though... Um, you know, all that, it sounds really good, but, you know, that's going to cost money. And and money, unfortunately, doesn't grow on trees. It gets uh, pulled out of the ground, um, <laughs> as it seems now. Um, in an ideal world, how would you pay for all this, you know, with... Well, um, well even know, just now if... The, the, you know, this coal mine's shut, you know, there's no money coming in through But the there. basic economics are already saying um, most of the coal infrastructure in this country is already beyond its use by date. Right, you can put a bit of sticky tape and band-aids to try and keep them going for another year or two, but ultimately it could be replaced. And the economics are saying to replace that um, capacity with renewables like solar and wind is cheaper than building a new coal-fired power station. When you factor in um, the cost of pollution, then the economics changed decades ago yep. and it only makes the equation much more stark. So it's got to happen. There's big, there's jobs, there's investment that comes with renewables. It should be a good news story. Yep. Yep. Australia's got all these natural advantages. We've got the space, um, we've the got sunlight. the sunshine, the wind, we've got the technical expertise. We've got all these natural advantages and we should yep. be capital. We should be leading the world on this stuff. Do you, um, do, you, do you feel like, is there an element that uh, all of this could have been prepared for if we'd, if we'd made the most out of the boom? Is there oh, a yeah. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. Do you think this could have been... We could, be, we could be leading the world right now. We could have, you know, a completely different energy system. We could have a 21st century transport system. No, we, we pissed the results of the mining boom up against the wall. Yep. You know, you had Howard, you know, basically shoveling all this money out um, and not doing anything with it. Yeah. And that was a great opportunity to really set the country up, invest in infrastructure. We just haven't done it. Yeah. Do you find, I mean, and people talk about it and, and I guess you can – talk as much as you want about it uh the, the factions every party seems to be dictated by factions and the greens do have it too do you find yourself as a bit of a cattle dog at times trying to you know rein in the uh, communists against you know, the you know all, the old the old communists anyway or the or, or like the the old guard against yeah. the the young bucks and the and the different because it was the whole thing was f like founded on a, a whole set of different ideologies that kind of were, you know, in line with one another, yeah. but but different ideologies. Do you find that happening? Um, so we, we don't actually we don't have formal factions, but like informally, there are people who come from different places. That's true. I think you mentioned earlier there was the nuclear um, 
you know, disarmament Green movement party, in yeah. WA, the Lake Petter and Franklin campaign in Tassie, here in New South Wales, Green Bands, and that, um, you know, stronger, I suppose, social justice um, influence. So but the, all- the Housing Commission... Um, Stuff in 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 Sydney. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the Green yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So so the and so you know you're right. There are lots of different influences, but I think they hang together. A lot of what happens is actually the the sort of political dimensions to it. I think are overplayed, and it's often just personality stuff. And yeah. we've just got to work hard to try and bring that together. We know that there's a um, twin crisis facing us. There's the ecological crisis and climate change. And there's growing inequality, and those two things are the sort of they're the big challenges of the 21st century, and we we've got to be up to it. So hypothetically, if the Greens were to win 76 new seats at the next election, and mm. you came to power as a majority, do you reckon your back would be safe from knives? Um, <laughs> what would you do as senator? 76 yeah. seats, hey, that's that's yeah. a that's a. Um, yeah, you'd have to uh, drop down into the House of Reps. You'd have to, you'd have have to pull a Barnaby. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. all right, yeah. drop to a Barnaby. You'd have to do a Barnaby, Look, it'd be yeah. a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, we're all in it because we want to make change. That's why yep. you do it. I think yeah. if, you, if you're in politics for the right reason, it's because you believe in a better world. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people's view of what that looks like might be different to mine, but if you're in it for the right reasons, it's because you believe in, uh, you know, a, a better society. And, uh, and if you get an opportunity to do something about that um, through winning more seats, then terrific. It's a, yeah. it's a great problem to have. What would happen with you, though? How would you manage that as, uh, as leader? In what way? It, what do you would, mean? Would you, you'd have to jump down well, to become one, Prime Minister. Yeah, well, the yeah. one thing – look, the one thing about the Greens and our, our leader, um, we don't have a, part, a tradition where there's this sort of presidential-style politics. You know, moment of every day, I, I reflect on the, you know, great privilege I've been given – uh, it's huge responsibility as well, but ultimately the success of our party is not based on who happens to be leading the party. We're actually a big social movement. You know, not all responsibility is invested in the leader of the party, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And so yeah. you look at the Liberal Party's problems right now and Turnbull's problems, it's because of who's actually running the show in the Liberal Party. Yeah. Do you, do you find, I mean, and, and you can tee off here because it is your job, are there any <laughs> villains... In, in, in Parliament House in Canberra? Oh, there's a few of them, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Because not many people would be willing to say that. And uh, I guess that, that might be the difference between oh, well, you Tony and other... Ab- what's Tony Abbott doing there? Yeah. Would you, would, you, would you list him as a villain? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, in what, the what's, sense what's, that what's driving him, do you reckon? I think it's revenge. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, else would, what else would is driving him? I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't yeah. get how he can wake up every well, morning and just be motivated by this sense of, I want to get this bloke back. Mm. You know, he's, he's, he's stuck the knife in and, I'm, and every time I open my mouth, it's calculated yeah. to exact a bit of revenge and bring the whole show down. Well, so he's one of them. Yeah. I mean, there's a few others. There's Erica Betts, there's Kevin Andrews. They're all part of that. Any, any Labor? George Christensen. Any, well, any Labor villains? Any Labor villains. Um, there are a couple that have left that I think that I'm pleased to see the back of. Yeah, we've got people like Martin Ferguson who yeah. was, you know... Member for Batman, and now is going out and spruiking for the coal and gas industry, and yeah. you know, um, trashing the union movement. Mm-hmm. I thought he was a, you know, he's a piece of work. But well, I suppose in terms of Abbott, you know, it's a lot like a farmer who sells a farm and moves into town, and he sort of wakes up on his first 
just had a morning in town and he doesn't know really what to do with himself. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, so he gets you know, on social so media. That's right. Starts criticising yeah, the, so the, new, the new bloke. If he leaves, you know, he's out in the real world. You know, he's just an unemployed you know, dude. I think he'd be um, right for a job. He'd get a job with Gina, right? From Sydney's North Shore. Oh, yeah, you know, but that goes without saying. But um, <laughs> but yeah, look, I think more or less with these um, with these older people in Parliament, these are uh, these more types of people who've been in Parliament, you, you know, their entire professional life. Yeah, I think that you know, having to step off, you know, this big boat, you know, which is the only boat that they've only known, right. is is, right. is is terrifying. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, yeah. and I. They become institutionalised. Mm. I think they they um, some of them love the status that comes with the job and the perks that come with it. Um, I think uh, others just wouldn't survive in the real world. Yeah. So the um, the the idea of uh, backbenchers and 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 passengers in Parliament and and we kind of can all agree that they, that they do exist. Is that is that how these spills happen? Be it the Labor Party or the Liberal Party, it's when they start looking at poll numbers and some bloke from, you know, the back of Mackay is sitting there or, uh, and they think, hold on a second, this, these poll numbers might indicate that I'm not going to be on quarter of a million dollars yeah. this time next year. Yeah. Is that, is that what it is? Pa- it's a big part of it, yes. I was, Keating used to say, you know, always back self-interest every yep. time. <laughs> so there's a bunch of people, and this happened during the Labor years, the Rudd-Killard years, there's yeah. a bunch of people who... Um, who are looking closely at it and realise that their own um, political interests um, are, are not being served by the current leader and so they'll switch camps. They're always the sort of the ideologues as well. Yeah. So, you know, you've got in the case of um, the Liberal Party right now a bunch of people with hardline, you know, hard right conservative values. As I said, the AAA faction, Abet, yeah. Abetz, Andrews and Abbott, are... Uh, you know, and George Christensen and so on, whose worldview I think is, you know, a long way away from where Turnbull's is, but Turnbull's just decided to, um, you know, to sort of sacrifice oh, yeah. all the things he once believed in to stay in the job. And it's because he wants to see a change in this country. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. know, he goes, this is, you know, some more unwavering... That's right. You know, Commitment and belief. From yeah. Pol- yeah. yeah. <laughs> From the Prime Minister. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's I think it's a combination of both those things. I think the people who who have always, you know, who might have have an agenda of getting rid of the leader, and those people who start to get nervous because their poll numbers are mm-hmm. are looking shaky and they might not get re-elected, it's a pretty powerful force. And then you've got the constant polling, the twenty-four hour news cycle, social media. It's a mm-hmm. different environment than what yeah. what one that existed even a decade ago. And so you get this sort of churn with leaders. Mm-hmm. Well, just one thing I'd like to touch on just before we wrap this up is uh, you, you've, you've called for um, a federal ICAC, yep. which out in Queensland's called the uh, the, the Triple C, and um, I'm not sure what it's called down in Victoria. So that obviously means that everyone in the Greens has got nothing to hide uh, in, in terms of... Um, Brown paper bags. Yeah, and all that <laughs> stuff. You know, uh, Comparatively, I'd say with you know the Nationals, um, a few... Cross benches when um, you know it did get a bit tight. There was a bit of door knocking and um, and late night phone calls. There is, is it important uh, to keep your colleagues honest? Oh, absolutely, it's yeah. Important. And um, I've, I'm pleased the Labor Party's adopted you know the position yep. of a national 
um, ICAC or anti-corruption watchdog, and we need we need to have it's got to have teeth. Yep, can't be a, a weak one like we've got in Victoria. But it's not just I think the you, you've got to change a lot of those structures. So you've got to get rid of big money in politics. You've got to you've got you have to stop these big corporate political donations because right? these guys are just buying influence. You have to do something about that. You have to clamp down on the revolving door between MPs and lobbyists so they go out and start spruiking for the industries they once had oversight of. And you need a national anti-corruption body. You've got to have all of those things working together because at the moment our democracy is pretty crook. People are um, rightly really angry with the current political system and that's how Donald Trump happens. When you have a political system that's been bought by big interests, when you've got a rigged economy, yeah. um, then people start looking for answers elsewhere and they'll often turn to people who've got no constructive solutions but you know, and offer false hope. Usually people who blame, yeah. you know, others, you know, whether they be migrants or refugees. Did you get any of that as a kid? Uh, racism? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah it's interesting how, how much things have changed. But, yeah, I remember being called a wog and mm -hmm. remember the big fight at high school between the wogs and the skips. Yep. <laughs> uh, I remember being spat on a couple of times and being called a wog. Mm. Um, and I went to a school that had, you know, a few Italians, but it was mainly an Anglo sort of school. And so, yeah, that stuff sort of sticks with you and, mm. you, and you get it. It's why I, I look at, you know, what's happening to the Muslim community here and like I can see echoes of that. Mm. Well, yeah. they're calling them wogs. Yeah. They yeah. are. So yeah. The, the word's kind of carried down. Yeah, down in Victoria, uh, they've been going after the, uh, the south... Sudanese, yeah, yeah, the, that's right. yeah, yeah that's um, right. and that's coming from Peter Dutton, who's um, oh, who's who's it's who's coming from the cops. I have heard um, Peter Dutton; he's right up there in terms of villains. It's just a, um, a, a dog whistle to the yeah. the backers um, in the Liberal Party who want to hear that stuff. Um, but it's disgraceful; it's absolutely disgraceful. And it's and it's yeah, it is an interesting one because Brisbane um, has a, has a large Sudanese community out in Maruka. Which is a pretty clo pretty close to the city, and uh, as does Sydney with Blacktown. Um, so obviously it's a it's a Melbourne issue. You know what I mean? Because this stuff's not happening in Brisbane, and it's not happening in Sydney. Well, it's not happening in Melbourne either. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the stuff. You know this idea of you know Sudanese youth roaming yeah. the streets and terrorising people is just garbage. Yeah. Not, it's a tiny not... proportion of the crime stats. Things have been pretty stable. Look, Dutton whipped it up. What did he say? You know, people are scared to go to restaurants. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he goes, yeah, you know, you know, you can't go down Collins Street now. You know, it's it's like a war zone. People yeah, are scared know. to go to gastro. Oh. Yeah. Um, what do they got down there? If, if Andrew Bolt is still able to go to the opera, then it's safe. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. That's right. Well, on uh, that note, thank you for joining us, sir. We've been, um, we've had a great, great chat. We uh, you know, it got a bit tight there, um, <laughs> got a bit testy, but I think we uh, I think we came good. Yep. Um, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, that's it for another week. Uh, we're getting the hurry up from Murray in the production box, um, so we've got to wrap things up. But don't go anywhere on Desert Rock FM. Up next, we've got the boys from Hello Sport. Yeah, and for all you podcast sisters out there, go and find Hello Sport and give them a whirl. It's uh, it's it's good stuff, albeit uh, very biased and. Um, unqualified opinions on sport it's quite entertaining nevertheless anyway thanks for listening everyone and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and rate us five stars regardless of what you thought of it until next week hooroo see ya
right now at Honda, find your kind of value with a low finance rate offer on selected Civic hatch and sedan models. There's never been a better time to get into a Civic. So talk to your local dealer and let's help you into a Honda today. T's and C's apply. Ends August 31st. See website for details.